The Westminster Confession of Faith was first published in 1646. It was the result of the hard work done by a group of men called the Westminster Divines. Their goal was to outline what they believed the Scriptures principally taught. And it has been said that the Church of Christ cannot be creedless and live. Thankfully, the Westminster Confession of Faith has been the creed of the Reformed Church for almost 400 years. This podcast seeks to point you to Christ, to help you navigate the Westminster Confession of Faith, and to see you understand what you believe and why you believe it. Welcome to This We Confess. Westminster Confession of Faith, Chapter 25 of the Church, Paragraphs 4 and 5. This Catholic Church hath been sometimes more, sometimes less visible, and particular churches which are members thereof are more or less pure, according as the doctrine of the gospel is taught and embraced, ordinances administered, and public worship performed more or less purely in them. Paragraph 5. The purest churches under heaven are subject both to mixture and error, and some have so degenerated as to become no churches of Christ, but synagogues of Satan. Nevertheless, there shall always be a church on earth to worship God according to his will. Hello everyone and welcome to episode 74 of This We Confess. Over the past few episodes we have been considering the 25th chapter of the Westminster Confession, dealing specifically with the Church of Jesus Christ. We've heard that the Church is Catholic, she is universal, she is worldwide. We've also heard that she is invisible, made up of every Christian who has ever been, both in the past, today and those still to come. And the Church, whilst being invisible, is also a visible body. And here in my locality of Northern Ireland, the visible church exists in towns and villages and cities all across this land. And last time out, we heard that Jesus has given gifts to the church. He has given them the ministry, the oracles, the ordinances of God. And we often speak of such things as the ordinary means of grace. God has given us these to gather and to perfect their saints, and these ordinary means, worked by the Holy Spirit, are sufficient to gather many sinners to faith in Christ, and to perfect the saints until they are called home to glory. As we move into the final paragraphs of this chapter, we begin to speak of how we can recognise the Church of Jesus Christ here on earth, and indeed we can speak of the history of the Church. Paragraph 4 tells us, that the church throughout history has been sometimes more and sometimes less visible. In plain terms, there have been moments in history where the church has seemed to be a wonderful institution that many pay attention to, preaching the gospel and seeing many converted. And then at other points in history, the church has been almost invisible on this earth. It has been weak and it has been despised and hated and rejected. In Romans chapter 11 and verse 3 to 4, the Apostle Paul reminds us of the prophet Elijah. He said to the Lord, Lord, they have killed your prophets, they have demolished your altars, and I alone am left, and they seek my life. 
But what is God's reply to him, says Paul? I have kept for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. Here is a moment in the history of the church where she seemed incredibly invisible. In Elijah's ignorance, he believed that he was the only Christian left on planet Earth. But the Lord was able to put him right, and the Lord was able to tell him that there were 7,000 others at least who had not bowed the knee to the false god Baal. This is a period of time where the church has seemed less visible. However, not so long ago, in 1859, here on this island of Ireland, there was a revival. And those who witnessed it and wrote about it spoke of crowds gathering and wanting to sit onto the word for hours on end. They spoke of crowds pushing their way into churches and little girls walking down the street singing hymns and crying out unto the Lord. These were days of revival, days where you could say that this church of Jesus Christ was more visible. This is the history of the church, sometimes more and sometimes less visible. And so if the Westminster Divines have spoken about the worldwide universal Catholic Church, they now begin to drill down in the local church. In the next sentence they state, Particular churches which are members thereof, that is the worldwide universal Catholic Church, are more or less pure. So as we have seen, the church throughout history has been sometimes more and sometimes less visible. And indeed, local congregations to this day are sometimes more or sometimes less pure. It is clear from the teaching of the Westminster Divines that there is no such thing as a perfect church. I know certainly in my context there are many who may claim it and may wish it, but it is simply not the case. Local congregations who are part of the visible Catholic Church are sometimes more and sometimes less pure. We see this evidence in Scripture as well. In 1 Corinthians 5 and verse 6 to 7, Paul rebukes the Corinthians. He says, Your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump, as you really are unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. The Corinthian church was certainly a true church, It was part of the worldwide, universal, visible, Catholic Church. But she was impure in many respects. And so the Apostle Paul acknowledges her not as a perfect church, but as a congregation in need of reform. The seven congregations spoken to in the book of Revelation show this as well. The Lord speaks to the church in Ephesus, and he praises their endurance and their love of the truth but he charges them that they have abandoned their first love. In Smyrna, they have stood up well under trouble and poverty, but prison awaits for some of them. In Pergamum, they didn't deny their faith, but they tolerated false teaching. In Thyatira, they tolerated a false prophetess called Jezebel. In Sardis, they had a reputation for being alive, and yet they were dead. In Philadelphia, they kept the word of the Lord in the face of hard opposition. And in Laodicea, the Lord calls them lukewarm, wishing they would be either hot or cold. Many look back on the days after the ascension as the glory days of the church. We sometimes long to be more and more like the so-called New Testament church. However, if we consider the true testimony of Scripture, 
we realise that what is true today about us was also true then about our brothers and sisters in Christ. That the Church of Jesus Christ at a local level has always been sometimes more and sometimes less pure. The local church is not a perfect place and if we are ever seeking the perfect church then we will not find it. However, the Westminster Divines are helpful as paragraph 4 comes to a close because they make it clear that the true church can be identified on this earth. There are marks of the true church. The Divines tell us that in the true church, the gospel will be taught and embraced. In the true church, the ordinances will be administered. And in the true church, public worship will be performed more or less purely. And so today, if your local fellowship does not preach the gospel or has twisted it to suit the modern age, then they have lost the title of being part of the true church. In the true church, the gospel is taught and embraced, and the gospel is the good news of Jesus Christ, that he was crucified for sin and raised for our justification. The gospel is not of works, but it is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And in the true church, this gospel will be proclaimed, taught and embraced by those who claim membership of that local fellowship. Also, say the divines, in the true church, the ordinances will be administered. What are the ordinances? We touched upon them last time out. The Lord's Supper will be observed regularly, frequently. Baptism will be administered to the children of believing parents or to adults who have never been baptised before. And with these ordinances will come church discipline. We will keep people from the table who are living lives of rebellion towards the Lord. We will exercise wise and pastoral discipline, longing for the day that the sinner repents and returns to full restoration in the body. So in the true church, the gospel will be taught and preached and embraced. And in the true church, the ordinances will be administered properly. And in the true church, public worship will be performed more or less purely. Our worship will never be perfect on this earth. After all, it is sinful men and women who gather each Lord's Day to praise the Lord. However, we should never turn worship into entertainment. We should never just enter into worship and have the attitude that anything goes. As Reformed Christians, we speak of the regulative principle which tells us that God regulates what we can and cannot do in worship. And so if we are coming to worship full of imagination and inventing new ways to worship the Lord, we must be very, very careful indeed. The Lord has told us in his word what pleases him, and we would be fools if we would remove ourselves from that. And so if we are looking for the true church, not the perfect church, because she does not exist on this side of glory. But if you're looking for the true church here on earth, you will find it in your own locality, in a place where the gospel is taught and embraced, where the ordinances are administered correctly, and where public worship is performed more or less purely. And brothers and sisters, I would urge you to realise that you do not need to drive 30 miles away to find such a place. Northern Ireland has been blessed by the fact that in towns, villages and cities all across this land, the true church exists. My friends, wherever you call home, find your local church where the gospel is preached, the ordinances are ministered and public worship is performed more or less purely. 
and join that place and give yourself to it for the sake of your Saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ. As the divines lead us into paragraph 5, they reiterate the fact that the purest churches under heaven are subject both to mixture and error. Once more, we must underline this truth, that even churches that think they have everything right are a mixture of both error and truth. The reason for that is because everyone who comes to the fellowship is a sinner. From the pulpit to the pew, we are sinful and imperfect people. And so we would be fools to believe that we have a pure church, a church that is without error or without sin. Now, of course, that is not to give us any excuse to tolerate error and sin, but we must avoid arrogance as well, which says that we are the true church and the pure church. A very loaded question here in Northern Ireland is when someone asks you, what church do you go to? And as an Irish Presbyterian, I often get eyebrows raised and eyes rolled when I say that I am a Presbyterian. Our denomination has, for quite some time, had a reputation for liberalism, and I believe that that reputation was well earned. But she is not that denomination anymore. I thank God for the work that he is doing of reforming the PCI, and I thank God that in congregations up and down this island, we have fellowships who preach the gospel, who administer the sacraments correctly, and who have worship each and every Lord's Day. So, I am not embarrassed or ashamed to be part of the PCI. There is much reform that needs to take place in our denomination, and much work that needs to be done. However, just like our critics, we are a church under heaven which is subject both to mixture and error. We see this in the scriptures. In Matthew chapter 13 and verse 24 to 30, the Lord teaches us the famous parable of the weeds. Jesus put another parable before them saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared also. And the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? He said to them, An enemy has done this. So the servant said to him, Then do you want us to go and gather them? But he said, No, lest in gathering the weeds you root up the wheat along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest, and at harvest time I will tell the reapers, Gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. The Lord Jesus' teaching is plain. The visible church will exist to the end of the age, and it will exist as a mixed multitude. The wheat and the weeds will grow together, and it is Jesus who will separate them on the final day. He will send out his angels, and they will gather together those who have received Christ and those who have rejected him. The wheat will be gathered into glory, and the weeds, those who have rejected Christ, will be bound together and will experience the pain and the agony and the fire of hell. My friends, I do not teach this lightly, and I do not teach it with a smile on my face, but it is the reality of the Church of Jesus Christ. In this day and age, she is a mixed multitude, but when the Lord returns, then the Church will be made perfect. My friends, if you are listening to this and have continued to reject the Lord Jesus Christ, then I would urge you to receive him as your saviour. 
Repent of your sins and put your faith in Christ. He has died for sin and he has been raised for our justification. And today he calls upon you to be no longer part of the weeds, but to receive him by faith and to be made wheat. So the church of Jesus Christ on this earth is mixture both to error and truth. However, there are churches where the divines tell us they have so degenerated that they have become synagogues of Satan. This language sounds incredibly harsh, but it is biblical language. When the Lord writes to the church in Philadelphia in Revelation chapter 3, he says this, I know your works, and behold, I have set before you an open door, which no one is able to shut. I know that you have but little power, and yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. Behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan, who say that they are Jews and are not, but lie. Behold, I will make them come and bow down before your feet, and they will learn that I have loved you. Here the Lord Jesus speaks about these individuals who profess falsely. They are part of a synagogue of Satan, a place that pretends to be a gathering of the Lord, but is in actual fact a place that is a gathering of the enemy. And are there churches like this in this day and age? Absolutely. Any congregation who claims the name of Jesus but denies his divinity is a synagogue of Satan. Any congregation that proclaims the name of the Lord Jesus but preaches a false gospel is a synagogue of Satan. Any congregation that today says that the Bible is the word of God but they do not believe it and do not preach it and would rather listen to the teaching of the world is a synagogue of Satan. There are many fellowships and many denominations exactly like this. It is a tragedy that in this day and age we must speak in this way, but it is exactly true. And so my brothers and sisters, once more, be aware of the marks of the true church. Where is the gospel preached and believed and received? Where are the ordinances administered correctly? And where is public worship regularly held? If you see these things in your local fellowship, then rejoice because you are part of a congregation which admittedly is both full of error and truth, but you are part of the church of Jesus Christ, the true church, where the marks of the church are evident. However, if you are part of a fellowship that looks like some of the examples that I have given, then my friends, you have joined a synagogue of Satan, and I would urge you to flee from such a place. The true church is not a perfect place, and local congregations are more or less pure. But thanks be to God, he has shown us the marks of the true church, so that we may not be ignorant in these days of tribulation. However, as the Westminster Divines conclude paragraph 5, they do so on a note of triumph. They state, Nevertheless, there shall always be a church on earth to worship God according to his will. Many will try to stamp out the Church of Jesus Christ, and at times it may seem that many have succeeded. But there will always be a church on earth to worship God according to his will. How can we be so confident? Well, we thank God for his word. In the book of Revelation, in chapter 12 and verse 6, we read about the woman fleeing into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God in which she is to be nourished for 1,260 days. 
It is my amillennial interpretation of Revelation that believes here that the woman is the church and that she is looked after and nourished and protected by God for 1,260 days. And here is what Dennis Johnston says about that period. The time period symbolized in 1,260 days encompasses the church's ongoing experience of suffering and safety, bold testimony and bitter trial, alienation in the desert but nourishment from God from the time of Jesus' ascension to heaven until the trauma that precedes his glorious return. The church will go through this period. It is 42 months. It is 1,260 days. It is a time and a times and half a time. All scriptural descriptions of this period and we are currently living through it. But throughout that period, that three and a half years, we will experience protection from God himself. The church of Jesus Christ will not be destroyed. It will not be wiped out. It will not be silenced. Yes, indeed, there will be times that she will be more visible and less visible on this earth. And indeed, there are times when local congregations are more pure and less pure on this earth. But the Lord will always have his witness. The Lord will always have his church. And the world will see that the words of Christ were true when he proclaimed, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. As always today, here are some questions for you to consider. Question 1. What do the divines mean when they say that the Catholic Church has been sometimes more and sometimes less visible? Give biblical examples of both. Question 2. Paragraph 4 tells us that local churches are more and less pure, but the true church does exist, and there are three marks of the true church. What are they? Question 3. Consider the Lord's teaching in Matthew 13, when he preaches about the wheat and the tares. What does the Lord Jesus teach us in this passage about the nature of the church of Jesus Christ? Question 4. Whilst we should be slow to throw around the accusation that a church has become a synagogue of Satan, what should we expect to see in such a place? And question 5. The Westminster Divines are confident that there will always be a church on earth to worship God according to his will. Support their confidence, biblically. That's all for today. As always, my name is Scott Woodburn, and until next time, this we confess. Mm -hmm.